past that sinking feeling you know what it's bringing you might as well say it I see it I feel it this town is going wrong hello my name is Tom Chick and you are listening to the quarter to three movie podcast where this week we're going to be talking about Buried. Uh, I am joined, and I'll tell you a little bit more about this, in the, by it's Christian Malinsky. Mm. It's actually pronounced Tobolowski. <laughs> that's, that's obscure. Well, now that works. Is he in the credits? <laughs> of course. He is in the credits? Okay, I didn't know if it was like an uncredited thing. All right, so in addition to Christian Tobolowski, uh, we have with us this week Kelly Wand, who hopefully has for us a buried-related tagline. Kelly Wand, do you have something for us? It's not buried-related, but it's related to some a news item this week about movies. <laughs> I just wanted to say uh, a lot of naysayers may naysay Willow Smith as Annie because she's not a redhead and she's kind of the opposite of a poor orphan. But I just want to say she's got the perfect eyes. Now, that must be related to some kind of Star Wars thing, because I have no idea what you were talking about. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, uh, you know those those white eyes on the comic strip that you never read? I, those, like, I white is there an Annie? Eyes. I honestly have no idea what you're what you're talking about. <laughs> wow. <laughs> from, yeah. from like from soup to nuts, Kelly Wan. None of that made any sense to me. <laughs> That's the fastest derail ever. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> Uh, but okay, so that's your buried related tagline. Good. No, all right, all right. I got a buried one. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. I have a backup. Okay. Hey, he thinks being buried alive is bad. He should try being a freelance video game writer. <laughs> <laughs> all right, good. Uh, uh, Dingus, why don't you tell us what is this buried movie? Uh, so if you haven't seen it, stick around for a minute. Dingus is just going to give you some basics before we get into spoiler territory. At which point, I'll warn you off. But but Dingus, tell us what buried is. All right, this week we saw Buried, a 2010 thriller movie directed by Rodrigo Cortez. Uh, it stars Ryan Reynolds as an American truck driver working as a civilian contractor in Iraq who finds himself buried in a coffin after his convoy was attacked. The film is rated R for language and some violent content. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Kelly Wand, do you disagree with the rating? Well, we'll get into that in a minute. Kelly Wand, uh... Let's now run off people who haven't seen it. And by the way, again, I, I kind of did this last week, and I just I, I sometimes feel this strongly about it. If you haven't seen Buried, don't listen anymore. Buried is really cool. It, Kelly Wand, it was on your top ten of the year list, I, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, and only mine. And, and I'm pretty you sure... You guys are racist. Well, I'm pretty sure all of us are going to... Well, I don't, I don't know about Dingus. No, Dingus, he's a wild card. He is a wild card, but Kelly Wand and I both are, I think, huge champions of Buried. So for Pete's sake, don't just... Think, oh, I'm going to listen to the podcast anyway. Go away. Go watch the movie and then come back and, and listen because Kelly Wand is now going to give us a very spoiler laden, buried synopsis. <laughs> Just warning you. And I, I actually can time. handle the synopsis, I think, is so. Well, I actually don't think it would spoil the movie because you <laughs> won't even know it's real. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Uh, and by the way, I, I have I want to take issue. You're, you're kind of I have a bone to pick with you in just a little bit, Kelly Wan. You're in trouble. 
For what? Yeah, the you'll passage? See. You'll see. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I apologize for recommending the passage of the book to you, the thriller novel. Uh, that, that's getting to do with, with what you're in trouble for. That, that, that actually you're in trouble separately for that, but that'll be mm. for the book podcast. Um, but for the movie podcast, you're in trouble for something else, but I, I'm gonna, that's just a teaser for people. Ah, an Easter egg. To stick it's around Easter. after the buried opsis. Uh, I'll bring up why you're in trouble, but first give us a, a, a so they don't get that even if they haven't seen buried either. Like, cause no, you said, they, don't, don't listen to us if you haven't seen the movie. So they don't get your, why you're mad at me. I'm thing. hoping they're gone now because, uh, yeah, I, that's, a, that's an extra prize they'll earn. Right. Exactly. See buried, come back get to find <laughs> why Kelly wand is in trouble is in, is in the Tom chick doghouse. That's uh. an Easter egg. You just did. You just <laughs> laid an Easter egg. egg. I did. Yes. All right, so Kelly Wan, rock and roll with your buried ops. Is it a buried opsis? Is that what we're calling it this week? No, that's a nonsense word. <laughs> bear ops is much more logical. Okay, good. Because <laughs> we did Yogi Bear this week. Great. Wait, what? Ah. Ah. By the way, remember I was mad at women last week because No Strings Attack was the number one movie, and I was mad at them for that. Right. And this week, I, I wanted to be mad at men because I thought The Mechanic was going to be the number one movie. The right beat but The Mechanic. The right was right. So now the men win, and I can't be mad at them because probably women saw The Right. Are you mad at Catholics? Or uh, demons? Oh, uh, spoiler! Now I know there's Catholics in it. Fuck. All right, Kelly, hey. give us a baropsis now. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, okay, the Barofsis. Uh Yeah, so the sexiest man alive dude named Van Wilder. <laughs> he wakes up in the dark to find out he's been buried in a wooden casket. Been on that date. <laughs> JK. Uh, but his barriers uh, considerately also left him a lighter with unlimited fuel in it that doesn't set his face or the wood it's warming on fire. And a cell phone with Arabic numbers in it, with the screensaver of Shakira, and a knife, and some magazines, and a curling iron, and a couple 40s. Uh, oh, and also a snake in his pants, but he doesn't notice that till later. So he opens the iPad, and he types in the numbers U-H-H-H-H-H, semicolon, hyphen, close parentheses, and he calls his wife's friend to get his boss's number, and then Domino's calls to tell him the CIA guy's number, and then that guy, who has a British accent because the CIA is based in Worcestershire, uh, tells him not to panic or do number two yet because they're working on getting him out by bombing all the cemeteries in Iraq. And he needs to just and fill out this quick survey saying how helpful he found their disinterment services. Then uh, Osama bin Laden calls and tells him to use the phone to make a YouTube video of himself writing a confession that the Iraq war is dumb and to make sure to point out this being buried alive has in no way compelled him to say so. And while he's talking to tech support about renewing his YouTube subscription, uh, a trouser <laughs> snake slithers down and tries to eat his interest levels. But he tricks it by setting himself in the coffin on fire, which uses up all the oxygen but he orders more by phone, and then his wife calls to say they're out of milk and not to forget a pack of smokes. <laughs> See, that's a callback to way back. Huh, Tom? Um, and I then thought it was Sada a callback to Animal Kingdom, by the way. That's what I thought, yeah. <laughs> you don't forget the Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, that's what I meant. It's a trilogy. <laughs> 
It's a call back back. Anyway, <clears throat> getting back to something. So Saddam Hussein calls again to tell him to make a video of cutting his finger off to show his support for Arabs who are nine-fingered. And then his boss calls to say he's been fired for making too many personal calls in the last 20 minutes. <laughs> but that on the upside, the comedy video of him cutting off his finger has like 900,000 hits and 12 likes and 13 digs. TV wants to give him his own show, only has to co-host it with the Lee Britney alone tranny, but they want to give the show better production values, so they want him to host it from inside this super spacious million-dollar coffin made out of Kanye West's teeth. But he's like, oh, yeah, fucktards, I'm still buried alive, hello. And what about residuals? And uh, he tries to give them the bird, but he's cut his finger off. And then the president calls to congratulate him for his patriotism and that because he's on Facebook, he's now qualified to be president in 2012. And then the CA guy calls to say, good news, we're nuking the whole country and ground zero is five <laughs> head. Just hang in there. Should find you in five minutes as, uh, as soon as the army puts through our requisition for shovels that we faxed them last April. A uh, thousand points of light. Stay on target. We're all right behind you. And then Yasser Arafat calls again and tells him to make a new video condemning the imperialistic use of YouTube for propaganda purposes. But his battery's almost dead. And so sand and farts are pouring into the casket. And just when all hope's lost, the phone rings one last time, and it's the president of the CIA again. And he's all, uh, good news and bad news. The good news is I'm absolutely positive we know right where you are for reals this time. And the bad <laughs> news is I'm in the same coffin with you. Your foot squashing my crotch. The end. <sighs> you missed the opportunity for a call is coming from in, inside the coffin. I did one. That's no, how I got, do it. It wasn't explicit enough. How was I supposed to do it? What did I do wrong? I always didn't do the accent. I'm not an actor. I'm barely a writer. <laughs> you heard that. Now, oh, so do yes. You, did you, I, uh. Like so, every now and then, Kelly Wine, you'll say something, and, and I kind of like want to correct you. But by the time you get to the end, I'm like, nah, that was too good. I I'm not about to correct the fact that the lighter does indeed run out of fuel. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I saw this movie like two weeks ago. I don't remember anything about it. There's a great scene when the lighter finally runs out of fuel. Uh, the, the, when does the, it run out of fuel? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That one scene where it runs out of fuel. Well, he said he props it up on his chest. He's just so resigned. This movie does so many great beats where it's playing with the, the color and source of light. Uh, and one of the beats is he's given up hope, and he just props the lighter up on his chest and watches the flame burn down uh, to darkness. Tom, the synopsis is never how I really feel. I know. <laughs> that's well, that's, that's, that's another I'm thing saying. you should factor into your corrective instincts. <laughs> it's just there for fun. Right. It's I shouldn't fun. take a red pen to it, you're saying. No, no, no. It wasn't meant to be edited. Right. Uh, well, Dingus, you're our wild card. Uh, Kelly Wand and I have made it very clear. Kelly Wand, through the use of his list, me, I think, talking to Kelly Wand about it when he brought it up on his list, we've made it very clear that we we both love this movie. I watched it a second time because I'd seen it when it was out. By the way, the reason uh, you are hearing us talk about it, oh, those of you that left, come back real quick. So I want to explain it's out on DVD. <laughs> That's why we're talking about it. Now go away because we're going to spoil it. So, uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. I love that was it. totally worth coming back for. Yeah, I just wanted you to know you can rent it. Thanks, guys. <laughs> See you again in a week. Uh, so, Dingus, you're the wild card. We don't know what, what you thought of this. Uh, and I know that you don't, for instance, like Ryan Reynolds as much as you like Simon Baker. 
Like if Simon Baker had been in this, I would know that you loved this movie. Uh, actually, should I get Kelly Wand in trouble first, or should we have Dingus come in and, and talk about whether or not he liked it? No, get Kelly Wand in trouble. All right, Kelly Wand, you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. When, when you yeah. mentioned Kelly Wand, that it was – now, Dingus and I are super spoiler-averse, but uh, so I realize sometimes when I, when I bust on people for spoilers that it's just me being a little oversensitive. But this was huge, and I didn't want to bring it up because I was hoping people wouldn't notice. But when you mentioned Buried on your top ten list, you said something about how you really liked that he never – that the movie never leaves the coffin. I think that is a huge spoiler and a terrible thing to do to people who haven't seen it. Because a lot of what uh, this movie is, is he going to make it? This movie is about uh, losing hope. And the audience, along with, I think his name is Paul Conroy, along with the main character, goes up and down this sort of roller coaster of, of gaining and losing hope. Uh, and I think no. Well, that doesn't mean that he doesn't. I mean, I could have just misspoken and meant, you know, he, most of it's set there. But that's not what you said. You said, I like this movie never leaves the coffin that he, that he but people i say so many wrong things that that could be <laughs> it could never be in the coffin for well, do you remember what i did though do you remember how i tried to address your uh uh yeah and i thought it was too i don't know that tactic you didn't fall for it people wouldn't fall for that well did dingus fall for it dingus was the guinea pig that's true well he what i there. did for folks listening what i did is i then pretended to let slip that there's a scene where after they get him out of the coffin something happens <laughs> I was hoping to, to redress Kelly's spoiler with an anti-spoiler so that they would cancel each other out for people. <laughs> a countermeasure. No, one, exactly. Right, and so your hope is people will think Tom's dumber than Kelly. <laughs> Kelly must have been telling the truth. Wait, wait, no, well, that's the opposite. You have the right idea, but, but flip it. <laughs> yeah, Kelly's dumb. <laughs> So, Dingus, yeah. did we did we spoil? Did you even notice that? Was this spoiled for you in any way? And how did this movie work for you? Apparently, I was just thinking about the next thing I was going to say next when Kelly said that, uh, because I don't remember him saying that, and I'm so happy I don't remember him saying that, and I don't even remember your countermeasures. Um, Good. I'm really, I they would really happy I don't remember him saying that because because uh, part of the tension for me in watching this is. Um, is are we going to get out of this this coffin? Are we going to go into flashback land or wherever? Are we going to start bouncing around and get out of this phone booth? And that's one of the great uh, extra tensions that that I had while watching this. That was just I think specific to to me or maybe you know maybe maybe to everybody. It's not it's not whether or not he's going to escape. It's whether or not the filmmaker is going to let us escape. Right. Because that's something that we, when we talked about Devil, like I know, and even uh, 127 Hours, like I know, Dingus, you're a firm believer in this sort of bold choice where don't, you know, force the audience mm-hmm. into this one space with uh, a confined hero, for instance. Like you, you really want a movie to do that, and that's difficult for a movie to do. And it's a bold choice that they did that in Buried, and I think it works wonderfully. So, so, he, he, would, so he likes Buried, right? That's the proof that Dingus liked it. Now, he might not have liked it because I think it has, like, an orchestral score. Maybe Dingus hated the music and it ruined it for him. Dingus also, it was hated. Simon Baker. Right, and, yeah, no Simon Baker. And the snake wasn't a python. It was a boa constrictor. Ooh. Yeah, Dingus, what were your problems with this movie? What, what made you uh, not like it as much as me and Kelly? <laughs> 
Uh, I don't think anything. I I think if if I were to say anything about it, and I'm glad you invoked the uh, the name of 127 hours, because uh, because when I watched it, and and as I watched it, my my feeling was this is this is what I was complaining about with that movie. This this is the movie I wanted 127 hours to be. Um, This is what I wanted. I wanted to. I wanted the filmmaker not to let me off the hook, and I felt like uh, Rodrigo Cortez and was doing that. And and I think it's such a bold choice to do that, to confine it in this way, uh, and still and still find a way to make it so cinematic. Uh, I am so excited um, about this film. Uh, I've seen it uh, a couple times this week, and I'm I'm just I can't tell you how happy I am that Kelly put this on his list because it's got so much going for it um i just i'm just so excited to talk about it okay so i already got kelly wand in trouble briefly for uh, kelly wand you're out of the doghouse now so you can come out uh you got in trouble uh, you've taken your legs but now dingus i'm going to put you briefly in the doghouse all right yes i think it is so unfair to expect from 127 hours what buried does because although they they have a lot of similarity in terms of here's a hero in a confined predicament what's he going to do 127 Hours, being the memoirs of a guy who survived that, is a very life-affirming sort of flight of fancy memoir. It's very much about uh, sort of finding your place in the universe, whereas Buried is a very dark, I would say, existential horror movie with political undertones. They're very different kinds of movies, and I think it's, it's a little unfair to expect from 127 Hours something that is more appropriate for for, for buried, so that's just me. Maybe you're not in the doghouse. So that's me whacking you on the nose with a newspaper that I've read. <laughs> I hot. would agree. I would agree that it that what I I agree that what I'm doing is unfair. But keep in mind, I saw 127 hours with no knowledge or understanding whatsoever that there was a film out there that was going to do this. <laughs> that that buried has the has has this going for it. So had I seen Stones. both. Uh, together, I would have said, okay, this movie does this, that movie does that. But when I was watching 127 Hours, I was thinking, I want to be stuck with him. I don't want to be flying off into flashbacks and hallucinations and wild bits of music. Uh, I wanted what I got from this film, and, and this film gives me that. So now I can sort of, I, I think I can view, like you said, Tom, I can view 127 Hours for what it is and not expect it to be this, because now this is this. It's also interesting to me, too, that 127 hours, 127 hours, even though Danny Boyle is... Is he British or Scottish? Do we know? I think he's British. I think he's Scottish. Go. <laughs> well, at any rate, I think he's American in that he's made a very American movie. He's very much a part of... Right. Even though it's things like Slumdog Millionaire, he does things that aren't typical. But I think he's very sort of a quote-unquote American movie maker. Uh, buried, buried shows no sign to that. Like Buried, buried is actually, literally, it's a Spanish production. Uh, right. It was made with Spanish money. It's a, it was shot in Barcelona, I believe. Um, the screenwriter's name, I noticed, did not seem Spanish, so I don't know what the deal is there. But Barry... Chris Sparling? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you know who that is, Kelly Wan? Do we know anything about him? No, I'll look him up. Uh, but but Barry does have the feel of a foreign horror, horror movie, uh, I think. Uh, like, I think that's a definite... It, it takes a very different tone than, than what you a typical American movie would, would have. Um, Plus, Ryan, he wrote a short film called Balance. So he likes one-word titles with these. Did he do Bound as well? And his next one is ATM, so he's going shorter. 
but losing the B. Is that true? The writer is yeah. doing a movie called ATM? Yeah, so it's a guy stuck in ATM, maybe. <laughs> maybe the same, maybe it's a sequel. And, uh, but yeah, you Ryan know, Reynolds. It, it, it's interesting that, that this is, I didn't realize it was to that extent a Spanish production. Um, and I'm wondering if you guys know anything about how it came to be, because why would it have Ryan Reynolds in it? And, you know, Tom, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, jokingly, I think that, I don't like him, and I prefer Simon Baker. But I actually do like Ryan Reynolds a lot, well, who, uh, and I'm yeah. really pleased he got to do this because he did he did a movie a couple years ago. It's this awful uh, romantic comedy called Definitely Maybe. It's not really a romantic comedy, actually. Oh yeah. Um, but it's something I really liked a lot, and it's I don't know that it's a very good movie, and I don't think you guys would like it. Um, not many people did, but I liked it a lot, largely because he he does such a good job carrying it. And um, you really can see, okay, this guy could do this type of thing. Uh, and it's weird to hear you, you you talk about it being a Spanish film because because suddenly I'm thinking about the guy in um, what's the guy's? It's Ricardo Darin, I think, the guy in uh, Nine Queens and and whatnot, and mm-hmm. and how they could have used like a Spanish actor to do this role, and instead they went with an American actor, which is a smart financial decision. But I wonder how that happened. Well, it's well, not, not only story, financial. Too. Yeah, exactly. For the story, uh, I think the movie, in order to be about an American predicament in Iraq, oh, okay. has to have an American. Yeah. Uh, right. But, but you're right as well, Dingus. Like to get a, a marketable fellow like Ryan Reynolds is a huge asset to this movie. Uh, I, I think I, it screened at Sundance. It got picked up by Lionsgate, of course. And but I kind of doubt that would have happened if it hadn't had Ryan Reynolds' uh, name attached to it. Um, right. And I, I was joking because I, I who doesn't like Ryan Reynolds? I mean, you know why? I, I love Ryan Reynolds. What? I'm sorry? Is I love him because he's Canadian, and I love all things Canadian. Is that true? Is he Canadian? Yeah. I See? A like little bit less. Does that make you... I, yeah. Oh, what? A little bit less now, yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't if, understand. If he'd been Australian like Paul Walker, I could have forgiven oh, him. Oh, God. You are <laughs> such a racist. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, who doesn't like Ryan Reynolds? He's a good actor, and he's such a good everyman in this movie. Uh, and he does such a good job with with desperation, with despair, with tight shots on his face. Uh, the scene where, where both the way he was working with the filmmaker really won me over is the scene where he calls his mother, and he's turned such a way where he's got his arm blocking most of his face, and you can only see one eye. But it's such a, an intensely personal scene, and it's so performance-driven. But it's mainly just his va- his voice and a little bit of his face. Uh, he just does a great job carrying this this movie. Uh, you know, it, it's it, a challenging role too. Like you got to give him props for even trying to do it. Absolutely, really good. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kelly Wand, let's talk a little bit about some of the ways they made it. How do you make a movie set in one place like this interesting? How did you think they did on that front, Kelly Wand? Uh, great, especially considering that most of the action is phone-based, as opposed to, like, him even trying to get out of the coffin, which I think is what you would expect the movie to be about. I think you would think of it as, you would expect it to be survival-oriented, like, oh, if I could just dig. Because in Kill Bill 2, there's this really cheesy shot when she busts out of the coffin by punching it. Like, she's just, like, swimming through the dirt afterwards the little one inch punch thing that she does yeah yeah and then it's just it's like 
and then the triumphant music's playing in that, and she hasn't she hasn't even like gotten past the hard part, which is yeah, you got ten feet of sand over that that you're about to like bring down in your face, and they just gloss over that, kind of like the Himalayas in the way back. So you're saying Kill Bill is not realistic? <laughs> not compared to buried. <laughs> well, it's, uh, I'm glad you mentioned the phone thing, Kelly Wand, because it's a it's a trope in horror movies that you have to subvert the cell phone. You know, in a horror movie, the character always has to check the cell phone and not get a signal. Uh, but this is a movie, and I love it about it, that is completely enabled by cell phone technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this movie could not have been made, what, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, Hitchcock never had it so easy. Edgar Allan Poe didn't have it so easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, but this is how they would have done it. This is how they would have done it. Exactly. I mean, it, it makes brilliant use of the cell phone in this confined uh, situation. The resolution is cell phone. So all Every story beat is cell phone, except the snake. Am I wrong? Uh, the lighter going out that <laughs> you forgot. Not uh, a story beat. I mean, he's got the phone. He could use the phone. Right. Well, that's know. exactly the phone it establishes contact and therefore dramatic beats. You're okay, right. I got confused. The battery on the phone never goes out, but they you think it's going to go out because he keeps referring to it anxiously. Well, that's kind of the timer, isn't it? Is that once yeah. the battery on the phone is going to go out, he's just going to sit there and the movie's not going to be interesting anymore. Plus, he's going to die. Uh, but that that is kind of the the movie. Oh, we don't, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Well, we don't know that though. We go, oh, if the, once the phone runs out, maybe he can something something. Well, I think also, and, and Dingus, let me know if you agree with me on this. I think the movie kind of teases you from time to time into suspecting that that maybe there's something different going on here than what we think we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, did did you get that too, Dingus? Having seen it most recently. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you get the sense because of how how the different calls uh, develop, and who knows his name and who doesn't, and and who who like um, how much information the other people on the other end of the line have that maybe there's something larger going on. Right. Well, and there is too. Like I th- I think it's not something larger as far as a conspiracy to trick him. But right. there is definitely something larger going on as far as the role of the contracting company, the role of the State Department, the, what the Iraqi wants, what he has to say. I mean, for a guy trapped in a box, this ties into the action so many larger themes and ideas and and motivations, considering we never see any of these other people. They all play very prominently in the story. And, and like you're saying, Kelly Wan, the story beats are all connected to him through the cell phone right but they're all connected to him through these larger things that are going on in the world he's uh, in a primal situation for high-tech reasons and when high tech's his only chance of escaping it but look what prevails yeah yeah <laughs> and what the one of the things the film really has going for it is that uh because of what you just said kelly um it relies a great deal, and what Tom just said as well. It relies so much on phone conversations, and the, that's not always easy for an actor to do believably. No. And he does a great job, and almost all of the voice actors um, are fantastic. And those voices, the voice acting in this film is is really good. Because why do you say and, almost all? Are you? Is there someone you specifically had a problem with? Because <laughs> I thought it was all fantastic. Is there someone? I wasn't crazy about the mom. The mom didn't do it for me. Oh, 
oh, you're so mean. She has Alzheimer's. You're mean to people with Alzheimer's. That's terrible, Dingus. That's right. I am. I can't stand Alzheimer's people. It's their fault. They're bringing this upon us. All right, but I, I, you off. I wasn't crazy about her, but but the other uh, the other actors they bring so many different uh, colors. Yeah. Even just just the random four one one operators, or you don't need to be rude people. There's so many different colors in those in mm-hmm. those voice performances, and that they got those type of performances, and they they paid attention to getting that level of performance from those actors. I just was grateful for that because that makes the film work. And he he does a great job doing phone stuff. And again, that's not always easy. easy. You can tell actors who can't do it. Sometimes they just, he's not talking to anybody. You can tell he's not talking to anybody. But I never get that sense when I, when he's when he's dealing with that phone. And Dingus, you before said something about how excited you were about uh, uh, the, did you say the technique or the, the way it was shot, like as, as a film. Uh, and I asked Kelly Wand a little bit about that. How do you make a film work? in this confined situation. You obviously had some specific observations about this, right, Dingus? Oh, yes, yes. Um, part of it, I mean, first and foremost, it's, it's, the, it's the central performance that works. Um, but but the, the director just, and, and I would have to say the editor, too, although I didn't look up who that is. Um, Rodrigo and, Cortez. He's the editor, too? <laughs> Uh, oh. And the guy who shot it, Ed, uh, yes. Eduardo, um, the guy who shot, he shot uh, a single man, Eduardo, I can't remember his name, Crap. That can't Growl. Edward Growl. Growl. Edward Growl. Um, it, they make, they, they, the film is cut so well that it, it maintains a pace without feeling artificial. Now, there's a couple moments where it gets a little filmy where it cuts quickly to him, like, to his face and you see his teeth shining and and those those are fine but it's just the the way that it it decides to stay in the box with him and then a couple of times the camera moves away from him but it's clear that he's still in the box we're just doing something stylistically whether it's for the camera to move up above him and you just feel like the walls of the the uh old coffin are just stacking up or whether it's to move out to the side um and and the other thing that really worked for me uh, was that I really felt that there was a strong delineation between acts. And you really understand uh, when he's come to the end of an act and then a new act starts. And I, I really loved that. I loved how that, for some reason, didn't feel like a play for me, but it just felt like a film being allowed to have a rhythm. And it has such a great rhythm and pace to it that uh, that I was just knocked out by it. That e- even in this confined space, I got a sense of movement and I got a sense of of pacing and action that was was stunning to me. You know, you say it didn't feel like a play, and I agree. But uh, one of the things that reminded me very much of a play is the way that it played with with colored lighting in such a mm-hmm. like that was such a significant device. It wasn't just an accident. It, it was every bit as intentional as having a play where the director is putting different colored gels in front of lights for specific scenes. Uh, mm-hmm. And here they did it with either the blue light of the cell phone, the orange light of the lighter, uh, later on uh, the green glow sticks. And when he mm-hmm. finds the flashlight, it has the red night vision option and then just the straight white view that shows everything in color. And the way that sometimes he would bang it into something and it would turn red, like all of that. Any time a scene was shot in a certain color, I got this, the sense that it was very, very intentional, just like a director might set up colored lighting in, in, in a play. 
uh, like there were definitely color coded beats as the story uh, went along. Um, and there was uh, also a great as far as uh, the I, so so it's the same cinematographer as uh, as, as single man. Yeah, that's amazing because again that was also so like richly textured uh, and open like really open out. Yeah. Uh, th- so they did a couple of cool camera tricks here too that I imagine a lot of this stuff is like digital, uh, where the camera would turn with him in the coffin, uh, or it would turn around. And you would see his feet, and it, it's obviously way too right. small a space for for a camera. It's like that trick in uh, Children of Men where the camera's in the car. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think they did a lot of stuff like that though. But it, all but he's of still that- in three walls. Yeah. Well, and it also felt very intentional for a specific scene. Like, this, there, there's one scene where the camera actually turns upside down and spins. It made a note, because he finds out, uh, there's one point where he finds out something of, oh, where did I write this? Anyway, where he found out something, and the, the camera turns upside down. Like, it starts spinning. Do you guys remember what I'm talking about? Uh, I don't remember the scene, but I remember the effect. Well, I'm kind of hung up on the on the shot that you're talking about, where the camera goes along the roof and then turns over, and and it's and it's the view of his feet. Right. It's it's like him him. It's him taking the measure. Exactly, taking the measure of his surroundings. Uh, But I think you're talking about something else. I'm not sure what though. Well, where he turns upside down, I think it's when he dis. Oh, it's when he discovers. It's when he finds out that they've got the 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 girl held hostage as well. Oh, okay, okay. The camera turns upside down, so he's up against the roof. I mean, it's this idea of literally turning the story on its head. Like, like mm-hmm. everything flips at that point when you discover that... Uh, and it does a great job of folding in new bits of information, too. Like, I love mm-hmm. the fact that it opens with a black screen, and he's gradually waking up, and you hear a guy breathing, and you know mm-hmm. nothing. This is like... This is one of my favorite things about going to a movie is knowing nothing about what's going to happen and gradually having bits of information introduced. Uh, and there's no conventional exposition here. Uh, hmm. You don't know. You know, you find out that he's a contractor. If you know off immediately that he's married because you see his wedding ring, but you, send, you find out details about that. You, you then find out. I don't think we're ever supposed to know whether or not he actually was cheating on his wife. Um, but that, that's an important bit of information there. Uh, he says I he love, wasn't. Yeah, I love how this film opens. I, I love the whole, the old-fashioned, not old-fashioned, but, you know, old older films had all the credits at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and I love that you have a really good opening credit sequence. Um, it's not too elaborate, but it's artful. And you even get a, 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 a credit for the opening credits in the opening credits. Um and then it goes to black, like you said, Tom. And the first several minutes of the film are this credit sequence and him grunting. I mean, he he almost says nothing, like except for what's the number, what's the number, those types of things. But largely, it's him moving around in this box and grunting for eight to ten minutes. And mm-hmm. I I just love getting you know the film's called Buried, so you have a sense of what it might be about. But you don't know, like you said, there's no expositional moment. There's none of this this goofy. Uh, 12 hours later kind of thing that happens where where they let us out of the box at the beginning and have a, a wild action sequence and then 12 hours later thing it's it's just darkness and I, I just love that and it I, I love for a film to take its time and 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 just let us breathe at the beginning because as I've said before this is the time when you have us we're not going to run out just take your time I love that and the whole rest of the movie's kind of in real time from I mean, arguably. 
we say kind of. I, I think literally it is in real time. There's there's a moment like where I think the snake can crawl in his pants where he seems to maybe doze off. Right. But otherwise, it's absolutely real time. Uh, there are no cuts for, for time except for that one thing. And I'm not even positive he dozes off uh, there. It has to have gotten in there when he was not noticing, though. Right. That's why I'm thinking. That's part of why I think he goes to sleep. Is that how else are you going to get a snake in your pants? He didn't notice that whole. Oh, hey. All right. Well, it's Ryan Reynolds, uh, you know, Canadian. They're all what they say. I'm not so crazy about the the trouser snake, to be honest. I mean, it doesn't really do it for me. Um, well, the I'm about scene. it. Yeah, it's it's the one. Other than trying to, we get one action scene where he turns around. Uh, <laughs> and then this is the other action scene where it's him versus the snake. Why did you hate it, Dingus? What's wrong with the snake? Why do you hate snakes? Why did I, I just racist? I just found that goofy and the whole you know lighting lighting the the fluid from the flask and I, I, yeah. It's it, it's it's alcohol. It burns. What? I don't. I just he didn't like that. I didn't like the trouser snake. I thought that was goofy. All right. Did you think it broke the mood because it's like? It's like something from another movie. Does it just seem out of tone for what what's gone? A little bit. Like a little bit. I, and then here comes just saying. A little bit, but I like the way I like what happens thereafter, and I think that sets the table for what happens thereafter. Um, I like I like there there are times in this movie, and this is something that I think is a real strength for it. And, and sometimes this is something I complain about, where uh, a film is shot and you don't know who's fighting who or what's going on, what's he doing. Uh, and there's a couple moments in this in this movie where I didn't know what, what is he doing. Oh, oh and finally you, you see, oh, he's he's struggling to turn around in the coffin. That's what he's doing. But you don't always know everything, all of these things. He's he's reaching for things. He's adjusting his body. Uh, he's trying to see different parts of the coffin. He's writing on it. And there are things that you don't always figure out, and they don't they don't really worry about that. And I really like that about this. So, well, you know, the snake thing is a minor minor complaint. It, it, I didn't really like it very much, but I, I like I like what it leads to later on. It's a story beat, too. I mean, things ha- things happen as a result of the snake. Right. You know, and the and the burning of the, the glow stick and the, the visuals there and, and him putting out the fire and uh, dealing with all the cloths and having to, to shove them into the hole so the snake can't come back. And uh, just the different, thing, the different things that – the problems that it creates for the character, I like those things. Uh, I know, just thought that him fighting the snake was a little goofy. I'll defend the snake. I'll tell you why it's good. The reason the snake scene is good is because it makes you think, oh, this is one of those movies. Like this, it feels like a conventional movie thing. Like, oh, there's a snake in the coffin. Oh, it's one of these things. So it's, it makes you think that it's going to all work out for him. It's going to end. It's you're watching a normal movie where snakes wind up in the coffin with him. Like, oh, okay, so he'll figure out some way. He can beat the snake off with fire, so he can figure a way out of the coffin. Like he's got this. He's got a lock on this. He's not a well, yeah, right. snake, right? And in, so in the Indiana Jones movie, if, if the snake can escape, then he can surely escape. Right. See? It's the best scene in the movie. Thank you for <laughs> agreeing with me. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm happy to do that for you. I do love how it, it looks like it's going to lead up to, you, you know, you're watching the little stream of alcohol moving towards the flame. It's almost like the 
uh, gas station scene in The Birds where you're like, it's going <laughs> to yeah. lead up to some huge explosion. And, you know, it does catch fire, but he just sort of brushes it out with the, with the sand. Cortez said he was going for a Hitchcock movie, and maybe that's why those credits look kind of 60s Hitchcocky. Too. Well, it's very Saul Bass. I mean, Saul Bass is the guy that did the credits for the uh, the Hitchcock movies, and the opening credits have that. Have very, and Saul Bass always got his credit, too, in the credits. Uh, and yeah. I think that's that's clearly what he was inspired by. Yeah, yeah. Tom, did you think anything sucked at all about Buried? Because I don't. Be the devil's no. advocate. I I don't think anyone any. I think it's one of those like. Uh, Dingus doesn't like the mom or the snake because he's a racist racist, and you have nothing. <laughs> well, the, the snake really is a fake out action sequence, and right. I like that about See? it. See, I I because I really you got it. Yeah, I don't feel that the filmmakers didn't really understand that it was going to seem like an action sequence. I, I feel like that, that's what I was saying before about I, I really hate that you would tell someone this movie is set entirely in a coffin. For instance, a trailer. Well, I guess in a trailer you might be thinking, oh, he's going to get out in the end. They just don't show it in the trailer. Like unlike Castaway, where you see the trailer for that, you know he gets rescued. Um, but but this movie is based on this roller coaster ride of hope and despair, uh, and. Mm-hmm. I, I think the, the filmmakers know that, and they're they're mixing it up enough in a little snake action sequence. Uh, can they're tricking Dingus. Yeah, they're tricking With the snake. Dingus. <laughs> Look, Dingus, a snake in a can. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the action, I mean, it gets the score. I thought was great. I I would be curious if it bothered you at all, Dingus. So hold, think about that for a second. But but the during the snake scene, there's action scene music. Yeah, which is another. Oh. This is an adventurous, fun movie. Right, right, exactly. This, to think. Here's one of the adventure beats. Uh, so yeah, this is Ryan Reynolds. He'll figure a way out. Right. He's Ryan Reynolds. A big star wouldn't do this movie and yeah. get fucked over at the end with sand. Uh, Dings, were you okay with the the orchestral soundtrack? Oh, so definitely. Times it, okay. It, it it weighed in pretty heavily in a few scenes. And that's okay. That's another thing that made it cinematic for me. And I think that um, it was mixed properly. It didn't overwhelm. It never overwhelmed a scene, which is something that's a common complaint for me. Um, And, uh, no, I I never had a problem with it. And, in fact, the the guy who did the score, I didn't even recognize this. I don't know who he is. I don't know if he's ever done anything other than a bunch of Spanish films. Um, But, yeah, I liked it a lot. I mean, I liked the the sense. There's a sense, and I and I tried to convey this a minute ago when I was talking about the credits of this being sort of an old-fashioned Hollywood movie, but not. And I, I like those touches. I like the credits. I like that. I like that score. I like the way the score works within the film, and and when the uh, when the filmmakers aren't afraid to let there be silence too. Silence, and like you were saying before, Dingus, about the fact that it never explains things. Like, I'm assuming that's his sister-in-law that he calls, but it never explains that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, during that conversation, I, I, I didn't have to be told that. I kind of figured right. it out on my own, and if I'm wrong, it doesn't matter. I clearly got a sense yeah. it was either a friend of his wife's or someone who didn't approve of whatever was go- of, of him for whatever reason. And later on, we find out that's probably because he decided to come over here and work. Uh, and she probably objected to him being a negligent father and... Uh, so I, I love that. that. That's never explained because Rodrigo Cortez assumes we're not idiots. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I just want to thank him for that. <laughs> for, uh, well, what I, I really liked about that in particular, that and a couple of the other phone moments he had, was that you get the sense that in some cases this guy might be a jerk. Yeah. And 
I like that because the tendency for us being with him and trapped with him as our protagonist and our hero is is to basically make him virtuous in our heads because he's we're with him and we want him to be this hero we want him to be virtuous and uh for the uh the suggestion that maybe he's having an affair whether or not that's true and the way he treats this this woman and, and he's just vulgar to her while understandable because he's desperate um gives you a window into the idea that maybe this guy's a jerk sometimes and it, it's okay for us to know that 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 doesn't mean that his life is invaluable but it's i like knowing that the protagonist you know in real life maybe he's a jerk maybe not when is he when is he a jerk he's he's here he swears that the chick is dumb and slow and i don't think he had an affair i mean he never calls the girl that i think he did have an affair like i i why we don't we don't know this but based on i i think the ambiguity of the the movie how it wants us to not know certain things. If, if this movie wanted to paint this as a guy who was unjustly accused of having an affair, I think it would have given us that information. The fact that it doesn't give us that information, I think it's very telling. Uh, the fact that he he only seems to protest because it's what you do in a situation like that is you deny it. How he reacts to the woman when he discovers that she's what's happened to her, I, I think means there's oh, it's that more there. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think there's yeah. obviously. I saw that as the company exploiting the fact that they're both goners to make up a story about them. That's what I interpret it as. No, but your way sounds. Yeah, I think that's yeah. obvious. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the the emotional response that he has, which is very key, and that's where the camera does flip upside down, and he does kind of shut down when she's been killed. Like he thought, all, he thought before, he was worried about the people that he was out with. Uh, when he when it's confirmed that she has indeed been killed, he has a very specific reaction to that bit of information that he wasn't having when it was just the other guys in the in the convoy not knowing what was going on. But when he actually sees her get killed, I, I think that we're, we're clearly supposed to understand that this isn't just a, a friend of his. Um, and also, I think I mean this is just this is sort of I thought the, that was just him going, oh, that's going to be me soon. But I think you're right. I was just being dumb. Uh, but also, uh, and this is just my own baggage and I, I, I bet dingus is here with with me but i think anybody who has a, a child at home who only has a 700 dollars savings account uh <laughs> that's kind of a jerky thing i mean the fact that he has to leave his family to provide for them uh that he goes to this length and and that obviously it alludes to him his wife and, and him disagreeing about this i think that's kind of jerky too you know he's got this young kid and he the I saw that as the company not paying him enough, and like that's how evil America is. Like they don't even pay their contract. Well, here's another thing, Kelly Wan, that I really think is an important subtext of the movie is the movie is a lot about uh, the the misguided American attempt as far as what's going on with Iraq. You know, I think the crux of the yeah. movie is him saying, "I just want to do right by my family. I didn't know it was going to be like this out here," and the the Dan Brenner fella saying, "I don't think any of us did." I mean, that's such a little important beat right there. I, I think that is the gooey center of the movie right there. Uh, the, the ambiguity of, of what the U.S. is doing in Iraq, it's kind of the same with him. He's not a, a pure 100% great guy. He's just doing what he thinks is the right thing, and it got him in this terrible, terrible situation. Uh, and when he's oh, talking so to the... Go ahead. Sorry. When he's talking to the hostage taker... The, the guy who's asking for his ransom, and, and he's saying, I'm just here to rebuild things. And the guy's giving him reasonable answers. You're here to rebuild the stuff you destroyed. 
and and at that moment you're talking about Tom, where the the guy from the uh, the hostage uh, emergency corps, not the CIA by the way, but just uh, the the English guy <laughs> from the hostage emergency corps, um, when he says that line of uh, I don't think any of us did. I just suddenly felt like you just said so much more and said it so much better than the entire movie of Green Zone did. And thank mm-hmm. you for being this kind of movie instead of that kind of movie. Now, it just it was so much in that moment about this. I hate the word misadventure because adventure sounds like a fun thing. But this just ridiculous thing that we've done over there. Well, and even the, the you know, the playing with the idea of is the guy a terrorist or an insurgent? You know, we get so much in, in a couple of dialogues on the phone. So much is said. You know, it's so easy to, to just use those terms as, as dismissive labels, especially terrorists. Mm-hmm. But when uh, when he says to the guy, I have a child at home and the guy says, well, I had five children and now I only have one. You know that. And the guy, right. I mean, that that's such a and they're yelling at each other. I mean, that, that should that in an, in an American movie or whatever, in a, in a more glib movie, that would just be the scene where he calls the guy a terrorist and the guy cackles. We didn't mm-hmm. get that, and I just love that. I love, I love the political depth, the the, the perception this movie has on, on what actually happened in Iraq. Uh, you know, it's much more than I would have expected from an existential horror movie like this. Mm-hmm. And and also the the final reveal too. I, I think. I mean, I think there's a reason. The last thing we find out is that this supposedly competent, compassionate, cool, calm, collected, yes, British, but this fella, that he has never succeeded at what he's doing. Right. That he, and he is willing to lie about it. For good reason, yes. (laughs) But uh, that he is not, he is as ineffectual as the guys at the the, uh, company that he works as a contractor for. I love that reveal. He not only makes up a name, he makes up a name. He says the no. name of someone he's... No, right. he doesn't make up a name. He, that's no. what I'm saying. Yeah. He, he said, yeah, right, right. He said he lies about, you know, Ryan Reynolds says, tell me the names of one of the guys that, you, that, that it's worked on. Right. And he lies about a guy that they still haven't found uh, and that they find at the end of the movie instead of yeah. that. So he does do his job. It's just a little late. Well, yeah, it's been three weeks, so obviously <laughs> yeah. the guy is dead. But I love that reveal. Uh, I love that line. What, what, and the and the sh- it, it's Mark White, right? And then he goes, "I'm sorry, Paul. I'm so sorry." And then yeah. and then Sam just drown, just like fills the screen. Well, lines like that, Kelly Wand, they clearly. I mean, I, I don't know if it's. I think it's part of the sound design. There are certain lines where they let everything be quiet around it, and you can hear it much better. And one of those lines is, "I'm sorry, Paul. I'm so sorry." And another one of those lines is that where he says, "I didn't think any of us did," you know, where where. It's the equivalent of like writing the lines in italics or underlining it, or you know, there's a reason that this particular line is given its own space. I, I think uh, right. there are a couple of those from, from the Dan Brenner character. Yeah. Some people said, "Don't do it." They were ignored, though. Don't don't go to Iraq and work as a kind yeah. truck driver to uh, support your family. Jeanine Garofalo said, "Don't become a truck driver." Right. <laughs> Uh, I also huge, huge props because can you imagine how differently this movie would have played if when he's getting the phone numbers, they all start with five, five, five. Oh, thank God that didn't happen. <laughs> I hate that. I hate that. <sighs> uh, God, I was so glad that didn't happen, too. There's yeah. got to be another prefix they can use. 
Well, you know, I think, I mean, the idea is that, you know, if you put that in a movie, it's safe. You don't have to then, I, I well, imagine well, then there, might be some there might be some legal reason behind it. Well, I don't why know. even use numbers? Just put happy faces. I mean, we know it's not a real number. I mean, why even, like, you see the fives? Know, it could just be. I'm, I'm with you 110%, Kelly Wand. If I never hear <laughs> another freaking 555 or see that written down in a movie, that'll be fine with me. Do they think yeah. we're going, oh, it's 555, fuck. Oh. <laughs> That's bad. I know that from another movie. Well, they have to do it just in case they accidentally come up with a real number, and then somebody's <laughs> constantly calling that number, and they could get sued by the person but whose number is being called. So in this movie, ever- they just started with like one, two, three, and you know, number. You know, most phone numbers are not going to begin with the with a number one at the at the foreign film. Oh, foreign films. Uh, foreign numbers. Like and government numbers and well, terrorists. He was definitely doing country codes at, at times, but when he was right. calling information, he was getting area codes. I, I actually, one of the numbers was it, they did use the real number for the, the Chicago FBI field office. Uh, right. That's the real calls there all the time. <laughs> I have a bunch of and, buddies that work there, and we just chat. Uh, see, and occasionally you do see a, uh, a, a, a real-looking fake number, and you go, ah, oh, thanks for going to the trouble. Thanks for risking the lawsuit. And I, or maybe it's just the director's number, or it's like his ex-girlfriend's number, maybe. <laughs> well, that makes me want to call it. Yeah, let's do it. Has anyone ever done that? <laughs> I'm sure. See, we're just right. We're the reason they do the five five five. They have to do it legally. I mean, that's that's a that is kind of a lazy way to avoid it. And this there's um, no nine nine nine. There's no phone numbers to start with nine 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 or eight eight eight. Yeah, that is, yeah, like, why does everyone agree on that stupid 555? Five, five, why is it five? If someone were to get 333, then I would maybe believe, oh, could that be a real number? I don't know. But as soon as they say 555, five, yeah. I know that... Uh, yeah, well, you, the- you like it when they say it after they show it? Like, you see it and you go, oh, 555, five, five, <laughs> fucking stupid cheap ass. And then the guy goes, it's 555, five, five, just as we thought. He's in Bermuda. <laughs> well, it's never for the area code. Because you can you can use your real area code. It's just the uh, do you call it the exchange, whatever you call the first three numbers. Yeah, the area code can be real. Right. right. Why don't they just change? Eh, forget it. I know. Stupid Hollywood. Don't think. But I, I like that they went to the trouble here because the photography and showing him writing is so great. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. That that super close macro photography when he's when he's crossing out the word help and when he's writing those numbers and has to choose a different pen. It was just such. Oh, so beautifully filmed. Just to, to, think, to think of somebody writing on a coffin lid as being beautiful, mm-hmm. but it's just, it looks so good. Now let's talk about uh, how, uh, this is going to sound a little uh, touchy-feely, but how did it make <sighs> you feel? Like this was a really grim, difficult experience, I thought, uh, because it really is about this roller coaster ride of despair and hope, like I said before. And it ends in such a terrible, terrible place. You know, it does such horrible things to this likable character, uh, and it and it then kills him. Uh, would how do you guys feel about that? How Good. do you feel about it, Tom? Why don't you start? It's we like open funky. water. Like I, I, it is like open water, Kelly. Want exactly like it, after open water? You know, when a movie is done this way and it's done well, I just feel I feel a little sick when I'm watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and afterwards, I want to take a shower. I want to like you know hug my cat or call my mom or whatever. I just feel awful. And I, I sort it's just of, a story, man. It's just I fiction. know, but 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 it, and I love, but but that's what but it racks real. <laughs> but I love when it's done that effectively because that's part of what I crave 
when I look for a, a good movie. It's a movie to which I have a strong reaction. And sometimes that reaction is going to be uh, feeling vaguely sick or disgusted or, or, or sad. Um, and, and I get just as much out of a movie as when it makes me happy or when I get a sort of pleasant buzz from it. Um, I'm okay with that uh, because that's, that's what I like in movies, when they create these sort of emotional responses. And that's part of why I love this movie is because it was so, so grim. Uh, it's hard for me to get there anymore just because I'm so jaded and the writer in me is always like, I can't help but my first thought's like, ah, good fastball, Chris Sparling. Like <laughs> do you not do you not like feel like slightly depressed after seeing a movie like this, Kelly Wand? Uh, I felt more depressed after Open Water because there was something a little more horrifying to me about water in that movie, and it was kind of more I don't know I just more identified with that fear, but buried alive. The fact that it was an allegory about Iraq was kind of helped me distance myself from the visceral impact. I was like, oh yeah, see what he's doing. That's good. I like that movie. I'm gonna give it. Ten podcasts. Is that how we're rating them now? One yeah, that's how I rate them. <laughs> just came up with that. Uh, now, Dingus, I know you're you're like me, and that you can have emotional responses to films that can uh, go either way. Like, what? Do, how do you feel about a grim movie like this? Uh, it's not something that's this hopeless. It's one of the reasons too. I called it an existential horror film. Uh, it's not a horror film about a monster. It's not a slasher film. But I do think it's a horror film because it it is all about this existential dread. And, and Dingus, I know this kind of stuff can be very effective on you. Uh, how do you feel after watching something like this? He's calling um, you out. Well, there's a, I've got a couple different ways of answering this. Um, I felt very emotionally involved in this film um, because this is a conventional fear. I mean, the, and it's so well pre- portrayed. The, the idea of him calling from the desert saying, I'm buried in the desert, come find me, and the idea of how insurmountable a task that is. And now that you, you kind of said some things earlier, it really does resonate with what the heck we were doing in Iraq is this insurmountable task, finding a coffin buried in the desert somewhere. Um, and just the, the idea, I can put myself in there. I can imagine that. And when he calls his home and he hears his kid's voice on the answering machine and there's that look on his face that just works on me um but i had a different different emotional reaction at the end i didn't feel um so down as as you're describing tom because there's a moment before the end where we hear where where we think where there's a little bit of a fake out where he he he's dropped the phone near his ear. I think it's right after he uh, he does this. He cuts off his finger. He's in shock. And, yeah, and he's in shock. And there's that light, and you and you hear the helicopter. Are you okay? Uh, you know, and and you think it's is this where we're going? And then it wipes back. And no, we're not going to let you off the hook. It's going to be a grim ending. And. I was just, I had this emotional reaction to the film rather than the character of just gratefulness to the filmmakers for yeah. for being so bold and to just being true to this particular story and not letting us off the hook, not letting him off the hook. And, and for some reason, that made me feel great instead of feeling depressed. Yeah. I thought, oh, cool, they didn't get any studio notes to fuck up the ending. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I like you, Ryan Reynolds. So I was I was caught up in the filmmaking, uh, film viewing experience rather than um, identifying with the character at that at the end. 
Okay. Even though it's so, horrible. No. So Dingus is with me. You guys are tough. You're tough hombres. <laughs> well, because open water, you know what? It, part of it, too, is like open water could happen to me. I could totally see myself being just getting left behind. This could happen to you, too, Kelly Wand. No, I'm not going to Iraq. Fuck that. I could get buried alive. Are you going to Egypt anytime soon? I'm going to GDC, and I'll probably get buried alive. <laughs> that could happen at GDC. <laughs> That's kind of how I picture GDC. But, Tom, would you try to find me if I'd been buried alive by dingus, or would you just piss on my grave from all that cider you drank? <laughs> Starcraft. That's, a, that's an inside joke, Kaiwan. No one knows what you're talking about. Uh, so it's like every other joke. <laughs> uh, the movie it most reminded me of, and I hesitate to say too much because it's almost a spoiler, uh, but have you guys seen The Vanishing? Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I was... It's a huge spoiler. And it's trying that to allude to with, I was trying to allude to that without saying anything. The Vanishing it. is also very much an existential horror film. What if someone went missing and you had no idea what happened to them? And it's this this idea of, you know, it's this sort of, well, it doesn't do that roller coaster hope despair thing, but it's the same kind of thing for, for very specific reasons. Uh, I had a lot of trouble sympathizing with that guy, though. In The Vanishing? Yeah. Because he doesn't take any precautions. He's like, you know... Are you talking about, well, The Vanishing is about a guy who's just on a road trip with his girlfriend and she vanished. Oh, yeah, right. No, no, I that part. But it's like later when the guy's all, okay, yeah, I'm going to. All right, all right. But, but anyway, he gets a choice to, uh, you know, do you, do you really want to know what, what happened? Uh, Why does he just tell the guy, look, you're going to tell me what? He loses, I don't know. He's being dumb. <laughs> That's like telling a mugger who killed your wife, wait, show me how you killed her. Okay, I held the gun up to her head like you're like I'm doing this to you right now, and then I did this. <laughs> he doesn't know whether his wife is dead though. He knows nothing about her fate. Well, there's there's got to be. He's given the right, chance but... to find out what happened, and he takes. Well, can't you find that out verbally? No, because the guy's not through. Did... What about the cops? It's not that kind of movie. Nah. It's an existential horror film. Would you, if you could, would you find out what happened to somebody who just mysteriously... Would you jump off a cliff if someone said, hey, you'll find out what happened to your wife if you jump off this cliff? No, because right? I know what's going to happen if I jump off a cliff. I'm going to hit the ground and die. If somebody says, do you want to find out what's going to happen, what happened to your wife, would you? you would if someone who you, if someone that you knew kidnapped your wife asked you if you wanted to jump off into a black space <laughs> and you didn't know if it's a cliff or not, would you? Uh, I know... No, but if he uh, said, if you have this cup of coffee, you'll find out everything, then I would drink it. That's a, that's a horrible bargain. What kind of – you drink the coffee. We'll drink, both drink the coffee, and then either neither of us will know or we'll both know. Will anyone, ta will anyone take us to SeaWorld? <laughs> it's just a bad or else. Or it's else. a bad haggler. <laughs> you know, put that way, that's not too far removed from what this guy's decisions are in this movie. I mean, taking the leap to – become a contractor uh, driving a truck in Iraq, I mean, that's this might similar be to that decision, you know, saying you don't know what's going to happen, but if you do this, then your problems will be solved. And, and I, love, make... I love the allusion to the, like, the training he goes through and the contracts he has to sign, like when Steven Doblowski's on the line talking him through that recording. It's like, oh, oh God. Oh. <laughs> it's, that was one of the most depressing moments for me, Tom, when you're talking about these awful, that awful sort of I need to take a shower moment is hearing him tick through those things and then hearing him say, okay, the recording's over and then saying he's sorry. Oh, that was just yeah. heartbreaking. 
It's also the most authentic. So you're like, yep, that's America right now. That's exactly yep. how they'd go. They do it. <laughs> death peasant tax or peasant death tax? What was it called? Uh, that's too much history for me. I don't know. Oh, sorry, <laughs> Michelle Bachman. <laughs> Ouch! Oh gotcha. man, that was good, Kelly Wand. Uh, say, say say that again, Kelly Wand. What? <laughs> your train, Bachman. Bachman. Yeah. You were going to say something. Do it. Uh, I was going to say, what did you, <laughs> I love his, I love his sign off to the sister-in-law after he apologizes <laughs> and then he gets the number for her. I, was like, I thought that was very endearing. <laughs> He's burning that too. And when he does that, I think, what if you have to call her back? <laughs> right. Hey, I was just kidding. Uh, it's, it's those last gestures that you might not always be a good idea. Do you guys remember? I love, I love, love, love this scene from Blood Simple, where uh, the oh rats, what is it? It's it's uh, who plays the husband in that movie? Uh, uh, Dan Hedaya. Dan Hedaya, right? Where I th- isn't it? Is it where Dan Hedaya shows up? I may be forgetting who it is, but someone shows up. And, and does a very angry, dramatic gesture and then goes out and gets in their car and drives off down the street, but then has to turn around because somebody says something about, well, that end of the street is a cul-de-sac. So he has to turn around and then drive back uh, by the scene. Do you guys remember that from Blood Simple? <laughs> yeah, that's great. I just love that sequence. Uh, <laughs> takes me back. All right, so I guess we all loved uh, Buried. It's kind of boring. We all agreed on this, except Dingus yeah. hates Snake and uh, the mother. Dingus hates reptiles. and He may hate the snake, but he loves the sausage. One, two, three, not only you and me. Uh. 180 degrees, I'm caught in between. One, two, three, three, four, three, three, four, three, four, three, four, uh, I got sick of waiting for Tom to set me up. Uh, all right, what is this week's 3x3, three three, Kelly Wand? What do you got for us? What was the sweater? What's he talking about? I had no idea. I assume it was some inside joke between the two of you. I didn't understand it. <laughs> I wanted to trade a sweater for some sausage. Never mind. Oh, he's, he's, he's wow. That's, a, that's a, as obscure as a way back reference gets, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Oh, see... How the hell am I going to remember that? You can't go back a week. God, what do I look like? <laughs> what are you not smoking? Uh, yeah, three best uses of product placement, not including the corporate logos at the end of the credits of a movie. Oh. Not including the movie. But including, um, like, little tags like Dukes of Hazard music for a joke. That counts. Mm, okay. I didn't use that though. Yeah, you said so, none of this last week. What are you talking about? Yeah, too late. And like the chicken airplane, who said George never gets cranky like that after drinks my coffee. That counts. Okay, okay. Well, let's <laughs> let's see what Dingus has come up with. Dingus, you have next week's three by three, so you're starting us off this week. I and thought I explained it pretty well. No, that works. I just didn't know if you needed to elaborate. Uh, now what? Is, well, we'll get when when you start, Kelly Wand. I want to know what inspired this. Uh, but but first, Dingus, what is your number three use, best use of product placement? Uh, my number three best use of product placement is going to start with a quote for you fellas. Oh, awesome. I got this. I'm ready. 
I think you're going to get this one, Tom. Here you go. Ready? Yep. I better get more pudding. Is the actual pro- oh the actual product is mentioned? Rats. Wait, what is it? Who makes the pudding? It's Healthy Choice. Oh God, I would never remember that, but that's right for the miles. Wow, that's yep. good. Kelly Wan, do you know this? What? <laughs> I was thinking right, about this, pudding. This, uh, this is the um, the God Healthy of- Choice. Uh, Frequent Flyer Miles promotion from Punch Drunk Love. And uh, I, um, so the product is the Healthy Choice. Uh, Healthy Choice is, is basically a product, and he talks about various products he was trying to decide on to really maximize his ability to get the miles quickly. Um, and he settles on Healthy Choice pudding, so that's, that's the actual product I'm using. And the excuse for him using it, and uh, I tried to give uh, the product and the excuse for each one of these, um, is that he wants to uh, get a free plane ticket and uh, be able to fly to Hawaii. But the the visual, there's this great visual of him when he's explaining uh, the loophole. He's found this loophole where he can get he can get all the individual puddings in a pack, and those will all make him get to his frequent flyer miles much more quickly. And he's explaining how nobody reads the fine print to um, Luis Guzman when they're in a grocery store. And he goes, oh, and he sees this uh, this cardboard promotional stand-up with all these puddings on it and he grabs the whole thing and he runs down the aisle and you see the shot over the aisles of him running carry of adam sandler running carrying this pudding stand-up while luz guzman follows him trailing two uh shopping carts running down the aisles and i just love that visual in addition to what it looks like with all the puddings stacked up outside his office when he's arguing on the phone about the promotion that's something else (laughs) that's a great one dingus i'd forgotten about that 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 was actually the healthy choice now if i'm not mistaken uh i think paul thomas anderson has said i read somewhere but th- this was an actual incident uh yeah. where where and was it healthy choice or was it a different company someone had made an offer like this and they were going to end up losing money once people realized there was a way to get the plane ticket for far cheaper than than you would normally be able to get it if you gamed the system uh, do you know what the real world situation was? I don't. It's it's based on an actual guy. Um, I can't remember his name though. Uh, who 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 did find this loophole and exploit it? But I don't know if it was healthy choice. I just know that that's what they used in the movie. Toblerovsky. <laughs> now, Kelly, why did you why did you make a disapproving grunt when Dingus said "punch drunk love"? Because you guys say it every week. It's the new Vinion. Tired wait, of this wait till we get to my favorite product placement from Assassination to Jesse James. Uh, okay, Vinion, Assassination, Jesse James. Uh, Paul Walker, the movie. All right, I That's right. My, guys- my two others are, are movies that we that I've never mentioned on this podcast, Kelly. That's a new rule. You can never do the same movie twice in a three by three. Suck- Zapped. Okay, you know what? That's that's cruel, but I will accept that challenge for as long as possible. We'll see who cracks first, how's that? And then that person's lost. And we'll see if I can go longer without mentioning Zap than you can from a Star Wars prequel, in Tom's case. So my number three is actually from two different movies. Is that kind of cheating? Yes. Yeah. That's okay, though. Yeah, but it's Start just, all over. But it's the Kelly same. usually mentions two movies for each choice. Kelly so cheats. A- yeah. Well, but here's why they're part and parcel to me. It's the same product in a movie done by the same director. 
this director obviously had some sort of a deal with, with these folks. And it, it's it's very unlikely and it's very subtle, which is what I love about it in both movies. Um, so in I don't that know. case, it's okay. Okay. Uh, now, what I tried to do with this, and I couldn't all the way through, so it only counts for the first my first two picks. It doesn't count for my number one. Uh, is I tried to pick product placement that made me actually that worked, that made me actually want the product. Uh, and there aren't really any like that. I, I couldn't really think of any. I, I came up with two. Um, and this is usually because the character is so cool, or I, I like the character so much that I like their judgment uh, in, in terms of brand choice. Um, so it definitely worked for me with the number one, with this one right here that I'm about to tell you. Let me give you a line. Um, I'll be back. Uh, the live doll? <laughs> now, do you guys know that, <laughs> there was, you like that. that there was product placement in Terminator? Yeah. yeah. Now, do you know that the same product placement is in Aliens? Hmm. Is Skynet like a pudding brand? <laughs> so it, I, I'm actually surprised. Like, you guys don't do do not know that because it's it the it's a, it's a, the type of gun. No. No, no, no. It's Nike. Nike gets very prominent product product placement in two shots of aliens in one shot in Terminator. And this actually led to me wearing these kind of shoes when I was a kid. What? Michael Re- Michael Mike is it Michael Reese? No, what's You weren't name? a kid when Alien or Michael Bean. Bean. Oh Michael Bean. Uh, Kyle Reese is the character's Kyle's, name. Right. Yeah. So it's Kyle Reese who I admired. So when he appears naked in Los Angeles and he goes into the, the, the clothes store to get away from the cops who are chasing him, there's one shot of him lowering his feet after he's stolen some sneakers, and they're Nike sneakers. And I remember oh, that's right. sneakers yeah. just like those. Now, in Aliens, there are two shots. There's one shot where Ripley puts her foot into the, when she's getting in the cargo loader, in the very first scene that introduces the cargo loader. It says Nike. <laughs> it, it's got a Nike swoop. And what? The, there's another shot where, really? yep, where when Bishop is going to climb through the little, they cut a hole in the pipe, and Bishop is going to climb through it to get to a place, the satellite link up where they can call down the dropship. Bishop sticks his head down in the pipe and he looks down it and shines a flashlight down it before he gets in it and then he puts his feet in there before hunkering down and climbing down the, the pipe and when he puts his feet in there there's a Nike swoop on his shoe. Uh, that's so, depressing. <laughs> but it was a You t- like that? But it, well it's that thing is it didn't ever say Nike. It was just a futuristic logo. Doing doing product placement is tricky in sci-fi because it could be like, for instance, there's an Atari logo in the chase scene in Blade Runner. And Atari isn't really, at least not with that logo, that's not really around it in any meaningful way anymore. Uh, for instance, Pan Am in uh, 2001. Mm-hmm. You know, Pan Am has long since been out of business. But uh, so it's tricky doing that in sci fi. But I love the fact that there's just that Nike swoop in Aliens. Swoosh. Swoosh, swoop, whatever. Is it really a swoosh? Did I get it wrong? Mm-hmm. I like. Wait, I love so that I, you mentioned that. I don't remember that. Now that you describe those things, I can see them in my head. Well, and, and that leads to one of my favorite little moments in Aliens when he gets handed the gun and then hands it back. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, he hands it to someone else. Someone yeah, hands him exactly. a gun and he just passes it on. I think. I think he hands it to her and then he hands it to. to um, I think Bishop hands it back to uh, to Ripley. Right, it's just like here, I'm, here's stuff I'm emptying out of my pocket. It's like, it, yeah, it's sort of like, it's like, okay, yeah. I need this, and yeah, <laughs> it's a great moment. Uh, 
All right, so there you go. Mm-hmm. That's my, my number three is the Nike uh, product placement in Terminator and Aliens that actually led me to get a pair of the same shoes that Kyle Reese wore. I used to wear Even those. though you were 24, you still <laughs> bought things based on No, no let's see. No, Terminator was I, was... I was in high school. When is Terminator? 84? Is that right? I don't know what you I bought a yellow face mask after I saw Star Wars and went around. Because you like C-3PO? C-3PO, yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Now, Kelly Wan, what led to this? Uh, what's your number three? Tell me that in a minute. But first of all, tell me what led to this choice. What, what, did anything inspire it? For, for now, I w- now I wish Ragu Sauce from Alien was my number one. Get it? <laughs> uh, yeah, what inspired this? I was watching um, that commercial in November where the Green Hornet uh, blows up Burger King in the drive-thru. And they go, oh, we'll come inside. And then I thought, oh, a place you can blow up from the drive-through. I want to eat there. Is and there then, Burger King uh, product placement in Green Hornet, or this was just an ad for Burger King? There probably was, but we didn't notice it. Well, you didn't notice it because you were watching the news, if I remember correctly, <laughs> and not the commercials <laughs> on the news, because that would have been boring. Um, All right, so Green Hornet, uh, some sort of tie-in that that made you uh, think of crappy product placement. And you were like, "What's good product placement?" Right? No, I thought that's good product placement. What are other examples of good product? Ah, placement? good. All right. Did it make your list? The Green Hornet? Yeah. No, but Burger King did for all three. Uh, actually, all mine are food except for two of them. <laughs> okay. My number three is kind of boring, though, and then number two and one are both good. So I'm just going to say number three, and then, uh, okay, I'll do a quote. Uh, the blimp's eye is like a doll's eye. The blimp's eye? Yeah. Maybe some Jaws spoof. I don't know. Scary movie. No. No. I hate you. <laughs> no, it's Robert Shaw in uh, Black Sunday. Remember Black okay. Sunday? You're in yeah. line. I don't remember. I, I don't think I've seen Doesn't he say that? You Dingus didn't see Black loves, Sunday? Dingus loves Black Sunday. He says we're going to need a bigger stadium. Right. We're going to need a bigger football game. With more ratings. So okay, is, is it a like uh, NFL product placement or something in Black Sunday? No, it's Goodyear. It's because it's the uh-huh. Goodyear blimp. He hijacks it and he kills a bunch of Goodyear people, and then um, he hijacks the blimp and he's going to shoot darts at the Super Bowl. Did you see this movie? Yeah, <laughs> I no, saw I, it. I, I've not seen I it. hate to give away the ending. Uh, and I've I've read the novel as well. So there. Ah, oh, that's awesome. Who wrote that? William Deal. No, Thomas Harris. No, we didn't. Right. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, even I knew that. Actually, I only knew that because Dingus has told me that in the past. That was his first novel. That was bef- that predated uh, Red Dragon. I mean, Red Dragon. <laughs> I like the name That Dragon better. <laughs> <laughs> so he likes titles with colors in them. Mm-hmm. All right, so the Goodyear product placement in Black Sunday. Do you, do you think... Well, and the Super Bowl. Do you think but you know what... You, I was going to say, you just don't see... I miss movies where something... Oh, you know what, too, I should have said? This maybe this will be a spoiler, but I was thinking... The other example of the Black Sunday is uh, 
the revolution in Magic Mountain and Roller Coaster. What? Uh, the the actual an actual roller coaster in Magic Mountain is referred to by name in that movie, Kelly Wand. Yeah, in the or movie Roller Coaster, it's like the first day of the Revolution opening at Magic Mountain, and they call it that. They don't change the names or anything. Okay, it's Revolution, and there's like a bomb on it, <laughs> and they the guy gets uh, the terrorist to set the bomb gets run over. Okay, this is my new number one three. This is way better. Write down Magic Mountain and uh, I'm not writing it down. This is your three by three. Uh, so, uh, uh, but that 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 reminds me of the end of Escape from L.A., where obviously they're wanting to do a reference to Disneyland, but Disneyland isn't going to have any post-apocalyptic right. shenanigans with Snake Plissken, you know, hang gliding in and, and shooting the crap out of people. So they had to call right. it something else. Uh, but Plus, it's not when people are there, right? But it's like in Roller Coaster. It's the opening day at Magic Mountain. People are on the coaster, and you have in the movie the prospect not only of a bomb going off on a roller coaster that actually exists, that just opened for real in a real park like 10 miles from your house, but a guy getting hit by the roller coaster also and getting smushed and splattered. Doesn't Timothy Bottoms actually succeed at one point? Like, the roller coasters that he does bomb, do they specify the name of the park and the coaster? Do you know? I don't remember. I think they made up those. I guess what you're saying is since the last one is a near miss, it's okay. Yeah, maybe. Like, that's not legally actionable. (laughs) I just don't think it would happen now. And that's why movies were cooler in the 70s. Yep, I agree. Well, and I'm sure they also probably shot at Magic Mountain. Magic Mountain was like, yeah, give us some uh, free publicity. Uh, as long as Timothy Bottoms doesn't succeed, sure, come on in. As long as George The C. first Scott one was a real place. It was Ocean View Amusement Park, at least. And then King's Dominion. Yeah, they were all real places. And the 70s were great, weren't they? Ah, oh, I love it. King's Dominion yep. is in that movie? The game. No, because I've been there. I mean, that's in Virginia. It's in near Virginia, Richmond. right. Yeah. Did you remember the incident, Dingus, where Timothy Bottoms set off a bomb there? Is there a, a ride at King's Dominion called Rebel Yell? Oh, yeah. It's one of the best roller coasters ever. It's one of those great old rickety wooden ones. <laughs> it's got a... Wait, it's a pro-slavery roller coaster. <laughs> Is that what's going on? <laughs> well, are there any anti-slavery roller coasters? <laughs> that's, that's true. But, I mean, is it shaped like... I mean, besides the Underground Railroad, of course. Oh, that's the train ride there. Huh. Mm. Anyway, I think that one gets blown up, too. So, were you there that day? Uh, I was not. I was at Bush Gardens that day. So, Kelly Wan, uh, this makes me think, too, of uh, there's a, an amusement park disaster in that movie. I think it's called The Fury, about the little the little kids with psychic powers. Don't they... Uh, but I think that's yeah, generic. That's just carnival. a carnival, right? Yeah. So the one that I'm wondering about, though, is which Final Destination? It must be the third one. Has the opens with the roller coaster wreck set piece? Isn't that the third one? That's a fake uh, amusement park, though, right. and it's but also that's... got Tony Todd talking over the rides as, on the PA system, so you know it's not a real one. Ah. Well, you don't know what he does as a day job. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> All right, so what is your number two use of product placement in a movie? My number two is the movie Roller Coaster, and you didn't no. see it. That's true. I did not see it. I'm on to you. Um, you are on to me. It, it, it could have been the game Roller Coaster, though, which is the number one game I would like to see made into a movie. 
but my number two product placement is from a film called Tape Heads. What? Um, mm. what? Is it John Cusack, Tim, Timothy Robbins thing? What? Yeah, Tim Robbins, John Cusack. It's directed by a fellow named Bill Fishman, and it was <laughs> in 1988. And um, uh, what I liked that you said, Tom, is that you were kind of trying to go for uh, product placements that actually made you want to try the product. And I wish I had done that because it sort of opens up a whole other list of things that I, I, I kind of got curious about myself because I, I remember seeing things and going, God, I want that. I want to buy that. I want to get my parents to get that for me. Um, and this this one is the one that that actually happened with. So this is kind of a, a little bit of a cheat because it's not uh, necessarily a product placement. Um, and yet it is. Uh, these two guys, um, uh, played by John Cusack and uh, Tim Robbins, have been fired from some dopey job being security guards or something. And so they start a video production company called Video Aces. And one of their gigs is making a commercial for this place called Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. And they make this ridiculous commercial, this great, wonderful, ridiculous rap commercial for Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. And, uh, you know, this film came out in 1988. I probably saw it on video um, sometime thereafter. Uh, and I just I loved it. I think it's probably terrible. I haven't seen it since. But I really loved it. And this Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles thing was just hilarious to me. Um, and I didn't realize at the time that it's a real restaurant here in Los Angeles, although it's a fake commercial in the movie for a real restaurant here in Los Angeles. And I remember uh, a little while after I moved here, I was driving down Gower to uh, to a rehearsal for this awful play I was in, and I drove past a place called Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, and I went, whoa, wait a minute, that's a real place. And it got me to go, you know, having already seen this in the movie, this ridiculous fake commercial for a real restaurant, um, got me to go and check out this place called Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, which is awesome. It turns out having fried chicken and waffles and hot sauce all in one plate is a great, great thing to do. Uh, and I don't think I ever would have, that might not have caught my eye if it had not been for the pseudo product placement in the movie tape heads. Roscoe's is a real place. Yeah. It's, uh, it's in Hollywood and it's also in Pasadena, I think. You know what else is a real place, Dingus? Bubba Gump Shrimp. <laughs> uh, what's that from? Is that from 2001? Willy Wonka, Wapki Wafers, Wapkly, Wack. <laughs> Willy Wonka is having a seizure. <laughs> uh, I can't do these anymore. It's exhausting. Uh, my number two is actually product. It's 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 fantastically placed in two different movies. Uh, I love both of them, but I'm I'm settling on just one of the movies for for this one. Uh, hmm. I would give you a line, but I can't think of one, so I'm not going to. Uh, and it's Tanqueray Gin, because I don't I don't drink much, but... Ah, uh, oh, good one. I, Very good. But do you know what two movies I'm thinking of, Dingus? I know which one you should go with. All right, well, I'll have to hold that thought. Uh, I don't really drink much, but but I love gin, and and I love Tanqueray. Like, if I if I were to drink, you know, a Tanqueray martini is fantastic. That's, that's what I'll have. Um, so when I see that in a movie, I'm like... Oh, I, I should get a martini after the movie, <laughs> right? I should just have some Tanqueray at home in the freezer. I should just keep some there. That stuff's great. Uh, so which of the two movies uh, are you thinking of, Dingus? I'm thinking of a movie where a character waves a bottle of vermouth yeah. over 
a martini. David Hyde Pierce in Down With Love does a, a great bit of shtick with Tanqueray martini uh, and, and how you shouldn't, <laughs> you shouldn't sully it with vermouth. But the one, the more recent one I'm thinking of, Dingus, uh, Julianne Moore specifically requesting it. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You'd say, yeah. It's, in, it's a single man. And that, that's Tanqueray placement as well. Uh, I didn't, I wouldn't have thought of that. That's nice. Yeah. Colin Firth brings her gin. She asks for gin and he, uh, he brings her Tanqueray. I think she's. Do you know why, do you know why she wants that? Because Tanqueray is for lovers? No, because, because it's the color of the bottle. Does she, oh, did she say that? Yeah, she says, uh, I like the color of the ah, bottle. Good. Yes. good. Uh, right. uh, Kelly, why do you disapprove? <laughs> well, why do you like that? Because you like the drink. Because I like Tanqueray, and I like seeing it given uh, it, its proper respect uh, in a movie, yeah. Huh. What, you disagree? Okay. Well, I... I don't know. It all tastes the same to me. Oh, how dare you! You don't see you don't see Beefeater or anything like that. <laughs> it kicks Bombay Sapphire's ass. Um. <laughs> uh, okay, on what is your number two best instance of product placement? Okay, I'll do a quote from it. Awesome. You're gonna regret this the rest of your life. Both seconds of it. <laughs> the laugh I had, by the way. That's a great line. Wow. See? It's a great film. That's your I've, hint. I don't think I've seen it. Dingus, do you know what that's from? I don't, but I love the laugh. Yeah, keep the laugh. I think the laugh should go with the line. I hope yeah, they keep they it fix that in post. All right, he says this, too. Hey, Luke Skywalker, use the Force. <laughs> but he says it ironically. That's your hint. Oh, it was a real... Oh, I don't know. I don't think I've seen this movie, but I like it. Okay, I'll do another quote. Okay. Mellow greetings. What seems to be your boggle? Buckaroo Banzai and Adventures of the Eighth Dimension. Skits off. <gasps> okay, I'll do this line. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to find Phoenix, and I'm going to put him in a hurt locker. What the hell are you talking about? It's got to be oh. it's the X-Men movie. Okay, oh. what's your third favorite Sylvester Stallone movie with Sandra Bullock. Demolition oh, Man. Taco Bell and Demolition Man, yeah. Yeah, see? Yeah. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. He even said Taco Bell. That's how well you know Demolition Man. All restaurants are Taco Bell. That's yeah. Because right, they're the only ones that survived the franchise wars. Right. <laughs> the deadly franchise wars. Also, in, instead of toilet paper, they used three seashells, remember? But he doesn't know what to do with them. He's like, oh, what do you... Like, there's so many different things you can use toilet paper for. Like, never mind. Taco Bell. But in Europe, it's Pizza Hut, because they don't have Taco Bell there. Is that true? Yeah. They can't... They, there's a separate edit of the movie for Europe. Yeah. And they just call it Pizza Hut in the movie. The movie's set in America. Yeah, but the audience won't get that. Wow. I'm not sure. They don't know what a quarter pounder is over there. They have the metric right. system. <laughs> That's weird, though, that they have Pizza Hut. Like, they have that in Italy. <laughs> they do. And uh, now, I, now that you say that, I remember uh, my wife, who lived in Germany for a time, uh, they call it Pizza Hut over there. Huh. Where is it made in a hut in, in, on the planet? Where is a hut? 
used to make pizza. Tell you why, it's a metaphorical hut. And when yeah. is a bill used for talk? Never mind. When is a radio a shack? <laughs> See, we're observational. <laughs> I think it's what is up number- with airplane food? What is your number one use of product placement in the movie, Dingus? Give us a line. Uh, my, my never- you want a line from it? Yeah. All right. I know who they are. Uh, uh, I hate your quotes. <laughs> the movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think I've seen. I that. hate your quotes too. All right, here's uh, another. Here's another line from it. You come to me and say the Germans are going to start making watches. You got my money. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. It's not Glenn Gary. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Uh, like Gung Ho with Michael Keaton. No. It's a an Albert Brooks movie called Defending Your Life, mm. and the uh, the product in question is Casio watches, and uh, the premise in Defending Your Life, if you haven't seen it, it's a great little comedy uh, directed and written by Albert Brooks, um, and starring Albert Brooks and uh, the ever winsome Meryl Streep actually. Um, Don't it's a Rip Torn. Rip mm-hmm. Torn is indeed in it, and he's hilarious. Um, they uh, end up in Judgment City after he ends up in Judgment City after being uh, killed in a car accident. And in the world of this movie, uh, you have to defend your life. Uh, you have to go to this little sort of purgatory place and um, prove that you have sufficiently conquered your fears so that you can move on to the next phase of existence, the next level of existence, uh, and not be kicked back to Earth and reincarnated again and have to go through the whole thing again. And so he has to go into this little room where there are these judges, and he has a defending attorney, and there's a prosecuting attorney who is constantly showing flashback video clips from his life proving what a coward he is. And one of them is uh, he has a friend who gives him this insider tip about how Casio, this uh, Japanese company, is about to launch a, a watch division. And... Albert Brooks's character, just out of college, has put away ten thousand dollars, and I would guess this is, you know, this movie came out in '91, I think. These are these are older dollars, so ten thousand means a lot. And he had put away ten thousand dollars specifically for investing. And this guy gives him this insider tip that Casio is about to launch this watch division; and it's going to be huge. And and uh, and Albert Brooks says, you know, if you're gonna, you have to be a society like the Swiss. That is based on precision, and Jap- the Japanese are not based on precision. So, you know, if you told me the Germans were doing it, you have my money, and and it's just not going to work. And he ends up like investing in cattle or something, and and losing all of his money. And that's proof that he he's too afraid to move on to the next phase. And when um, when uh, the prosecuting attorney, who's played by Lee Grant, actually. Uh, she says, and just for the record, let me tell you that Casio is one of the is the number one maker of of timepieces in the universe, the judge holds up his arm and says, uh, you know, I, and he, he points to his, he has a Casio watch on his arm, and he says, I know who they are. Dingus, mm. I have a question. Yes. What's a watch? Um, a watch is one of those things, before they had cell phones, <laughs> where you could tell time with your cell phone, you would wear it on your wrist, and then you could talk to people on your wrist. So the judge has a cell phone now in the remake. Right, and a calculator heaven, as well. Heaven, yeah. I don't see how that proves he's afraid. I mean, some random dude tells him to invest in a watch. Well, that's, 
that's one of his points as well. He says, well, what is this all about making money then? Um, but it's just one of the gags in the movie, and it's just a little, uh, a little movie that I love. So, Dingus, I, that's all good and well, but I'm not sure I get from this why that is your favorite, your flat-out number second one. Second favorite. No, Isn't that, it second? Uh, I've lost track. Was that your number one or your number two, Dingus? That's my number one, yeah. Yeah, why is that your favoritest of all Shit, time? Shit, I can write these down. You should be taking notes. <laughs> why is that your favorite of all time, Dingus? Why does that one stand out above the other ones? Uh, because I like how obvious they make it. Um, one of the things I loved about the Adam Sandler one from Punch Drunk Love is that Adam Sandler is known for, in his normal movies, for being just a total shill and doing product placement in just an, you know, they'll stop by a Wendy's in the middle of the movie and, and, and order from Wendy's. And so I really like that. And I, I like that, that this, for me, in this Albert Brooks film, is a little bit subversive in the idea of product placement. That this judge holds up his hand and says, I know who they are, and we're doing Casio here in this, in this thrill, not this thrill, this little comedy about the afterlife. Uh, is Adam Sandler a product? <laughs> I asked you I'd buy it for a dollar. There's, uh, there's a, a really cool horror movie called The Vanishing on 7th Street that Brad Anderson directed that uh, features early on two instances of product placement if you consider Adam Sandler a product. Uh, it starts with uh, John Leguizamo working at a theater, and he's the guy running He's a projectionist, and he's talking to someone about the movie that he's having to be a projectionist for, and it's an Adam Sandler movie. He mentions that. But the more trenchant product placement there is it's AMC Theaters. Uh, mm. clearly labeled like on his uniform he walks out in the lobby it's AMC theaters uh, and then something terrible happens there which made me wonder how did they sell this to AMC like how did they say we want to use you, your theater in this movie here's what's going to happen now they just use 555 theaters yeah yeah exactly <laughs> see what I did there it would have been like CMA and they could have just made the font look like AMC but no I right, felt well, I- Oh, go ahead. I was going to say on Dingus's, uh, I felt Lost captured Purgatory better than that movie. Boy, okay. did it ever. Now Tom's number one. Okay, my number one, uh, this doesn't make me want to use the product. I just thought this was a fantastic use of a specific product where it fits so perfectly into the scene. It doesn't feel the least bit gratuitous. The way it's presented in a sort of confused manner, the way it's thematically important, uh, and it's the use of Call of Duty in The Wrestler, <laughs> where uh, Mickey Rourke nice. is sitting with a little kid, and he, he, he wants the kid to play Nintendo with him. And he's playing some old washed-up Nintendo game in which he was featured as, as a character. It was fictional, of course. It didn't exist. Uh, they did a mock-up of it. And the little kid is sitting there talking about how much cooler Call of Duty is. And Mickey Rourke has no idea what he's talking about or even what he is saying. Uh, mm-hmm. This whole little Call of Duty he doesn't understand why, because the kid's are so glib about it. He's just telling him about Call of Duty and how you can be in the SNS. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just love that scene. Um, so that's my number one. Yeah, the kid goes into great detail, and it's all true. If I, if yeah, I, absolutely. And we noticed that stuff. There was no 555 video game shit going on there. Exactly, yeah. And it's that specifically to contrast to the crappy Nintendo game. That, yeah. That, Aronofsky made dicks of us. <laughs> But did that make you want to use that product, Tom? It didn't, Dingus, so that it doesn't fit with the way I wanted to use Nike shoes and drink uh, Anchor A gin and my other ones, I know. Let's do that wrestling game for Tom versus Kelly. 
and I'll be RAM. Ah, the Nintendo one, yes. I Only if I can be the RAM. I spent $300 getting my Nintendo fixed. <laughs> you could just buy a new N64 for that. Oh, now you tell me. Worst friend ever. All right, so there's my number one, Call of Duty okay. and uh, the rest because that is a product. Oh, by the way, it's this is TV, but it, it has its appearance in the American office as well. Call of Duty does. Yeah. Do you get residuals every time you say that? Because because I bought stock in Call of Duty? <laughs> because you made you Pam cry. You can't snipe in Carrington? Right, exactly. <laughs> I actually only know about that from Dingus. I actually know I don't know the show The Office very well at all. So Dingus had to explain that scene to me, and then I looked it up on YouTube and, and watched it. So, oh, he's trying to kill us with flat or smoke grenade. Isn't there some line like that? It's <laughs> cute. It's the girl too saying that, like she thinks it's cute. Like, like she knows. She all- thinks he's adorable because she comes up behind him and he's trapped in a corner. Yeah. She's like, oh, he's adorable as he's jumping up and down trying to get. <laughs> Yeah, they use the game to, like, show the courtship. Like, it's just what Buried is, except romantic, instead of deadly. Spoiler. Yeah, what is number one uh, product placement in a film or movie? Okay, uh, my number one is one movie, but two products, and that would be uh, Coke and McDonald's in Mac and Me. You guys see Mac and me since I last said to see Mac and me. <laughs> I'm afraid I've been recalcitrant. Okay, it's like E.T., but in this one, the, the aliens are healed by drinking Coke. So the kid keeps giving them Coke constantly because they're off their planet and they're getting sick. But if they drink Coke, they feel better. Well, wait, but, but what kind of Coke? Like Pepsi, Dr. Pepper, Coca Cola? Like you have to specify. Normal Coke with a straw. Coke isn't, isn't a brand, though. Coca-Cola is the brand. Coke is just a drink that you drink. Like, you get a Coke, and it's like, what, what kind you, of Coke do you want? the hell are you talking about? What do you mean? <laughs> There's only one kind of Coke, red Coke. I don't know what you're talking about. No, it's Coke. What other Cokes are there? What, a, what about Pop? Pop is just, no, just a generic term. That would like kill them. Pepsi would kill them, too. But on their world, you see them at the beginning, and they're drinking from rocks with straw-like plants. So you think, oh, they're drinking Coke. Like they have coat, they're they're on the planet. Even though it's all desert and rocks. <laughs> and why is this that's, number one? That's what the, because it was science based. Okay. <laughs> your answer, your answer to Tom's uh, cross examination was was much better than mine, by the way. And they go to McDonald's, but the FBI follows them because they're up to. They go, ah, those kids are up to something with the alien, maybe. But the aliens disguised as a teddy bear. And it does, like, a dance number, and everyone does a dance number. Like, all the customers start dancing at McDonald's because music starts playing from nowhere. And then the hullabaloo lets the alien escape. So there's a story beat, too. So it's, like, buried but romantic. Now, why Mac and me and not the Reese's Pieces and E.T.? If you're going for, like, product placement in movies about cute aliens. Oh, there's Reese's Pieces and E.T.? Those are M&M's. Stop it, Tom. They were supposed to be. I don't know if uh, that's common knowledge, uh, but that's what Spielberg was trying because to say. Because E.T., he would have just eaten anything. But in Mac and Me, they have to have Coke and McDonald's. Right. That's uh, why. And no one I, love, I love that none of you picked the scene from Wayne's World. You can bet people will be bringing that up on the forum. 
Which one? The one where he does six products? Yeah, yeah. There's like yeah. the whole gag that Mike Myers does. Uh, I'm odd. sure some people think it's really funny, but I'm like, okay. Let's go for the obvious joke, Mike Myers. Nice. There's nothing funny in that movie. Am I crazy? Weren't we just bored? Like, there was nothing else to see for a year and a half. So Wayne's World made a ton of money. That's how I remember it. <laughs> uh, I noticed you guys didn't pick Hooters from Unstoppable. I didn't see that movie because you told me not to. Because you said there were too many scenes set in Hooters. What is it? The train crash into Hooters? His, daughter, uh, his daughters work at Hooters. Right. And there's scenes Uh-oh. of them like, watching the action unfold from a TV at Hooters. What? His daughters work at Hooters? He has multiple daughters and they work at the same Hooters? Actually, yes. A- I think so. There's two, two daughters and I think, yeah. yeah is that a so joke? How many Hooters is that? That's like six Hooters. I'm no man. And uh, there's there's also Hooters feeder, featured prominently in Big Daddy. Yeah, I remember that. And it's like the the the, the evil girl has to work there at the end. That's her. Right. That's her. But wait, an Unstoppable. Please explain to me why Hooters is like that. Supposed to be serious. Like you're looking at Hooters chicks and they're like solemnly watching the news. Well, I'm sure it's well, okay. So Unstoppable was based on a an actual event. So one option is that the guy's daughters actually did work at Hooters, but I doubt that's the case. I'm pretty sure that this is just product placement in the classic sense of the word where Tony Scott... That's such a weird... And Hooters, and Hooters pays them to make the characters work at Hooters. So you're supposed to be watching the movie going, oh, yeah, that would suck if you're dead. You're not supposed to be just looking at boobs? Isn't that, is that kind well, of... They actually, I, I don't know if you remember, I told you guys about a little snatch of dialogue from it where... It, <laughs> get it? Get it? You did there? Get it? Get it? See what you did there? Get it? This <laughs> is never spoken of in disparaging terms. Uh, it's it's absolutely presented as a as a viable place to work, and you know it makes me actually want to go back and see what sort of clientele do they put at the Hooters because it's a big crowded scene at the Hooters where people are watching the TV, and I'm wondering like if I was Tony Scott or no if I was the executive in charge of setting up this deal, I would tell Tony Scott okay in the Hooters scenes I want families there I want you to have families in the restaurant we're selling Hooters as a family restaurant place of rednecks. Dude, Hooters sucks. The food sucks, and like the girl. If you're gonna see naked girls, just go to a strip club. Like, I don't why do you want naked at Hooters? I've never eaten. They're not. That's what I'm saying. That's another reason it sucks. The girls aren't naked, and the food sucks. It's a two. It's a zero for. <laughs> Black Swan being shown at Hooters this week. I don't get that. Uh, I don't want to mix my boobs with my food. That's too confusing. You didn't pick a Waffle House from Due Date. I noticed. <laughs> He's <laughs> allergic to waffles, see? They don't go inside. Or, or, or Pancake oh, yeah, yeah. House from Fargo. Mm. And that drive-thru she's at in Fargo. Um, my runner-up would be um, Caddyshack and the Baby Ruth. Oh, good one. Very Damn. nice. Very nice that's, thing. That's, that's, that's a swish. That should have been there. They, they Obviously, they had to get... Is Caddyshack, is that a Mars? That was back I mean, in, in... Babe Ruth, is that a... Like, they obviously had to get permission, didn't they? And if I was in charge of Babe Ruth, I would be like, hey, I don't want you pointing out in your movie that my candy looks like a turd. <laughs> All candy bars do, A. B, Bill Murray eats it, so that's an endorsement, that's although true. he's supposed to be retarded. Uh, and it's covered with clone. Um And C, that was back in 1980 when you could do anything in movies, and now they suck because Babe Ruth owns the studio. The end. Or vice versa. <laughs> Uh, is is Coca Cola? Does it? Do they get product placement in the Gods Must Be Crazy? Ah, uh, see that pr- they shouldn't because they should be mad because like their bottles hurt people's heads in the movie. 
Although there's all those uses for the – there's also Coke and um, Golden Child. Remember he makes that little doll out of it that dances around. I hate you guys. You never see anything I see. Fuck you. Uh, there's some surprising product placement in Fight Club because it's it's an uh, anti product. Yeah. The the yeah. Volkswagen and the Starbucks stuff. Uh, very anti uh, sort of corporate culture. Uh, it, they you've got Volkswagen and you know they have the the Starbucks logo. Uh, and also liposuction placement <laughs> and Planet of the Apes. Because the movie's like Planet of the Apes. But uh, in You've Got Mail, I remember thinking, ha-ha, they've got AOL. <laughs> it made me think it's like, ah. Um, Pizza Hut and Back to the Future 2. And my personal favorite, Ford Steering Wheels and FedEx in Castaway. Yeah, the FedEx thing in Castaway is pretty prominent, isn't it? Yeah. And Milk you know, in the movie. <laughs> and Porsche Milk in what movie? What movie? The movie Joysticks, the video game uh, raunchy Hooters comedy from 1980-something or other. Wow. Like, the, they make a milk commercial. Wasn't Herbie the Love Bug? Like, wouldn't that just be one great big Volkswagen product placement? Because weren't those, yeah. those movies, he was a, it was like about how adorable Volkswagen bugs are, right? Yeah, and like sentient. Transformers does that for Ford. Oh, God, they? yeah, that's right, right. You know, I yeah. like that you brought up Blade Runner because I, I thought about Blade Runner for a while for just phony products that they're that it seems that they're constantly endorsing in those advertisements. Um, What's but, the uh, there's the the product in Children of Men? Oh, what do they call the stuff that uh, like Tranquility or what is that called? The assisted yeah. suicide drug? Like, and there's fake products oh. for it. What is that called in Children of Men? Oh, all right, well. It's, but I'll that's a, another uh, fake product because there's a uh, so yeah there's like commercials for it and I think posters and they even refer to it. Uh, Michael Caine uses it to get stoned. <laughs> <laughs> Does he? I thought he was just keeping it on hand for you know when he needed it. Well, doesn't you know that's that's a good. It's called Quietus. Quietus, right? Very good. <laughs> but he he makes a joke about it, and then later he I think uses it on his wife when they're coming to get him, doesn't he? Uh, yeah. yeah. But I don't remember him. I mean, he, he smoked strawberry cough. I don't know why he would need <laughs> quietus on top of that. You don't mix your quietus and your strawberry cough. Everybody knows that. Oh, uh, quietus makes me think of something else, actually. Fair bodkins? It makes me think of, of um, oh, that, that modern Hamlet uh, where he does that monologue in the blockbuster. Um, Ethan Hawke? Yeah, the Ethan Hawke Hamlet. Doesn't he do the to be or not to be in a blockbuster? That's so, because we all can relate to not knowing what to rent. <laughs> kind of like, do I kill myself? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so true. And no director's cuts. Uh, all right, what's our 3x3 three three for next week? Uh, that would be me, the 3x3 three three for next week. Uh, a little bit inspired by last week's film, The Way Back. Um, a little bit inspired by next week's film. Uh, this is uh, Best Hiding Place. So this is a best example of something hidden by a character in a film. And I'm talking about an object here. I'm not talking about feelings or concepts. I was hiding my love from her. Uh, actual objects where a character hides something somewhere. And so this is your best hiding place. 
What? But the per but the person can't hide in it? You said objects. Like a sex object? Can we take off the table the little fake panels on the Millennium Falcon where they hide? Oh no. Well now awesome. you have, so thank <laughs> Thanks, you. Tom. Hold on, let me just That's Star Wars. cross that off. What about R two D two? He hid the lightsaber in it. Okay, that's number two. Thank number you, Kelly. <laughs> Wait, so this is just a place that somebody has hidden something? Does a bionic no, hand count as a hidden? It's not really a place. It's examples of something being hidden by a character, and it's an actual object and things being hidden. Hmm. Okay. Does an invisible man count as a hidden object? You can game it however you want. I'm just not uh, going to with gaming know, it. I, I hid my love in my heart or something like that or concepts. So it's if you can sell it as an object, that's fine. So it's something that's hidden. Um, I'm going for. Uh, you know, there were a couple scenes in The Way Back where characters were hiding things from other characters, physical things, either buried in the snow or hidden under their bunks. Um, and so you're going for things that you thought were clever hiding places in films. Now, as I'm turning but, everything over in my head, we can talk about this more next week, but as, as I'm trying to think of things, it occurs to me that most great hiding places in movies end up being terrible because what's hidden gets found. Right, we see it. Yeah, we find it. <laughs> or we see it, but usually the point of showing a character hiding something is because of the dramatic impact of the thing then being discovered. <laughs> so yeah. these are so most of these I'm thinking are going to end up being bad hiding places. <laughs> Maybe it so is basically mean- everything everything in the world is a bad hiding place eventually. Like when the sun mm-hmm. burns out and it gets destroyed. Right. Good point. <laughs> All right, so we'll do that next week. Interesting. Uh, I think I've got some things in mind. We'll see what comes up. Uh, speaking of hiding, does that work? Let's see Sanctum. No, you don't hide things in a Sanctum, though, do you, really? No, you do, because it's safe. It's a sanctum. Yeah, yeah, you protect them. Yeah, okay. Uh, This is, uh, yeah. Is this movie Australian? Am I mistaken about this? I don't think it's an American movie, and that gives it's me Canadian, a- which is even better. Oh. It's the rich man's Australia. I think it's Australia without the Australian word, isn't it? It's from the Australian language. Yes, exactly. Mm. Can you say it in Australian, Dingus? Sanctum. Very good. <laughs> Uh, so join us for that next week. Uh, we'll be seeing Sanctum. We'll be bringing you a three by three of the best hiding places in movies, uh, whatever, however that turns out. Uh, <laughs> I am Tom Chick, and I am joined by Christian Malinsky, Christian Morosky, and Kelly Wand. In Russia, podcast yawns during you. It's that sinking feeling, you know what it's bringing. Might as well say yeah, I see it, I feel it, this town is going wrong, it's turning away, you wanted me to be someone that I could never be, a mighty friends are offering the things I've never dreamed, that's a beautiful for them to take me on. The track mall game went off on the Tennessee guard. Help keep this podcast free. Give us all your money.